Hey everybody, welcome back to the Journey of Life podcast. I'm your host, Will Bissett, and today we are going to be kind of diving into a lot of different things. will be a little bit more of a beefy episode today. I want to wrap up a few things regarding the ALS timeline and kind of where I currently stand and where I'm at with things now. Uh, then I want to talk a little bit about causes and then kind of delve uh, right into the interventions a little bit in terms of what I've been doing to try to uh, try to address and fight this thing. Um, that's going to probably take place over several episodes because there's just so much material out there and there's been so many things that I've done so far. Uh, again, I want to apologize for that snafu with the redoing of the second part of the timeline episode. Um, I, you know, the material that I did first time versus this last time was relatively the same. Uh, pretty much covers all the same stuff. If anyone has any specific questions, feel free to reach out to me. One thing I, I realized I did forget to discuss when I redid the timeline episode of part two um, was just a few more diagnosis slash criteria regarding ALS in general that I just wanted to inform you guys of. And some of you may have already heard this, but I'm just going to kind of repeat anyway, just so everybody knows and we're all on the same page. Um, First thing is ALS is a relatively rare condition as compared to what we talked about with autism being like a one in a 36 chance of having it, which is pretty high, uh, and this is pretty, you know, pretty currently, that's a pretty high chance. ALS is a bit a bit more rare. It's, I think, around 1 in 400 currently. So obviously, that's a much more rare condition to acquire, you know, and again, researchers can pinpoint exactly why that is or can't really predict, you know, who who could get it or since it's 90% of the time it's sporadic. Uh, that's something else I wanted to discuss. Uh, so ALS can either be sporadic or genetic. Uh, sporadic cases, which is what I have, is roughly 85, 90% of the key, all the cases of it. Which means, again, sporadic, just random, no one knows, you just get it, there's no specific cause. Uh, you know, that just kind, of, just kind of randomly appears, more or less. There are some predisposing factors, which I'll get into, but again, it's a sporadic case, just kind of pops up. The genetic cases, however, are much, are much more rare. They're uh, around the 10% ballpark range of people who get it. However, you would think the genetic version would be worse, but um, in many ways, I would have almost rather have had the genetic version because there was a medication that they just came out with in the last couple years. I'm drawing a blank on it now. I I know the other ones that, that people take for sporadic, but... I'll have to look it up. There's a genetic medica- medication that treats a genetic variant of this that actually has been showing some significant improvement in results. And 
even some potential slight reversal of, of damage cut from ALS, which is completely unheard of and just that's a complete science breakthrough. Um, one of the most common genes that it affects is the SOD SOD1 gene, and there's other SOD genes that it affects, but they can actually code specifically to re redistribute and kind of reconfigure that DNA, RNA splicing and all that stuff and essentially kind of take out that that gene that's that negative gene that's being expressed causing the ALS. They can take that out and replace it with, you know, a better sequence, which is showing some tremendous results. So that is um, very promising for the people that have the genetic variant. And again, I got tested right away to, you know, they did a buccal swab in my, you know, just in my cheek. I just, you know, I said I'd mail it to a place and they, it came back negative for the genetic version for me. But another thing with the genetic is you think, oh my God, I can never pass this to a child and God, no, I would never, I would never even, if, if that were the case and I knew I, you know, I passed it to a kid, I would never ever risk that because of, you know, how horrible this disease is. However, they told me, you know, I told my wife and I even that they can actually go in, you know, even if you have the genetic version, they can go in in utero somehow i mean this is just mind-boggling to me i mean this is just science and just it's just i cannot put my, wrap my head around this but somehow they can go in in utero and re re kind of change around the gene sequencing of the developing fetus so so that this als gene will not be expressed if they know that you know, the father, whoever the person has the gene for it, they can actually go in and alter it in the developing baby. And the baby will end up not having that gene, which is just, again, beyond mind boggling to me. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine how in God's name you could do such a thing, but they apparently can. So they told us that, which so even if I would have a genetic version, I still could have, you know, considered having a baby because they could have addressed that issue, which, again, is just insane. So, yeah, that just wanted to go over the sporadic versus genetic. Also, ALS is not typically disorder that you have pain with from the disease itself. ALS specifically attacks the motor nerves or motor neurons, which are the, the nerves in your body that go from your motor cortex in your brain uh, down to your spinal cord and then either your spinal cord to whatever muscle that it's sending the signal to all throughout your body. Uh, it specifically attacks and targets those nerves. Uh, it does not affect pain fibers or sensory fibers. So typically you're not going to be feeling increase in pain or a loss of sensation from this condition. 
Now that being said, you will certainly can get pain from the results of this condition, such as increased weakness, postural strain, um, back pain, just because of your muscles getting weaker and you not you know being able to do as much or things being harder to do and all that sort of stuff. So you'll certainly have pain from that standpoint, but not from the disease itself, if that makes sense. Trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say regarding ALS right now. I think that kind of covers it. I just wanted to kind of paint, you know, a few more little pieces of, you know, the disease itself so people kind of understand. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this previously. There's, there's other motor neuron diseases such as PLS, SMA, uh, bulbar palsy, they're but by far the most common of them is ALS. That's kind of the classic motor neuron disease and um, by far the most common. Average age of onsets usually in you know, around the mid to late 50s, anywhere between 50 and 70. Unfortunately, I, uh, I'd certainly beat the, cur beat the average curve on that by a long shot. <laughs> Um, I've actually read there's been people as young as their early 20s that have gotten this, which, I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm, I started developing symptoms when I was 30, but for people getting it in their early 20s, I mean, I, I, I just can't even imagine just, just how horrific that is for those individuals, and I feel for them every day. So... That being said, well, let's kind of talk a little bit more, you know, with the timeline stuff. I kind of wrapped it up last time talking about, you know, where where I'm at currently and where things have been going. And the winter has been really tough for me. I uh, I was dreading going into this winter because I knew it was going to, really take a toll on me and my symptoms and just probably make me worse. And it certainly, in, and it has, in fact, made me worse. Um, I will say, you know, probably over the last month or two, I felt like I was kind of, I wouldn't say stabilizing, but it was kind of, things were kind of just staying as they were and I wasn't, there wasn't any significant changes that I was noticing. Uh, my walking was kind of just where it was at and pretty much everything was just kind of where it was at. But unfortunately, over these past several weeks, I've, excuse me, I've noticed my arms have been getting a little bit more weak been seeing some more uh, fasciculations and twitches in my arms and in my biceps and I feel like I'm starting to slightly atrophy a little bit more in my arms which is just it's just beyond sickening because again I've always prided myself on my strength my, my physique my physical appearance not that that means everything of course it doesn't but you know, I, I struggled a lot with self-esteem and confidence growing up and, you know, even to this day. But 
I've always felt like I, you know, once I kind of looked in good shape. So I felt like that was something I had going for me. And just seeing that, seeing this being taken away from me as I'm just witnessing it and just seeing it happen is just so disturbing. Um, you know, I'm still trying to do curls and anything I can to strengthen my arms, but my strength just is not there. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard even picking up and curling like a 20-pound weight anymore. I mean, you know, I'm, I used to be able to curl. I have 90-pound dumbbells, which, you know, some of you listening <laughs> have met me have, have met me and know that I, had, like, I do have them, and I used to, like, curl them and shoulder press them overhead from the ground, and now I, I can't even... I can't even hardly pick up a 20-pound dumbbell, which is just, I mean, it doesn't matter how much muscle you have and when those nerves are not sending the signal from, you know, brain and spinal cord to muscles, it's, it doesn't matter. The nerves, the nerves are what drive and innervate that muscle to be able to contract properly and lift whatever load or resistance or weight you're trying to move. And it's just, you know, I'm I'm getting weaker with that. I mean, I've been continuously trying to work out, and I'll get into that later in terms of um, controversy regarding whether you should work out or not with ALS. But um, it's been really tough to see that. You know, I've I've gone to the point even now where I have to be careful, like especially when I'm tired or go through one of my fatigue spells throughout the day or at night, you know, lifting up a glass that's above my, you know, above my shoulder height, you know, especially if it's like a glass cup or a heavier cup. I really have to be careful, and honestly, I don't even know if I trust myself uh, because between my grip being, dexterity being messed up and weak and my strength itself and my shoulders and everything, and... I'm afraid I might drop it, or even when I'm drinking, if I'm using a heavy cup or I'm drinking, like I have to be careful of that because I feel like I won't be able to lift it up as high, or and then I'll I'll choke or something, or it's just so many little things that are just I mean it's just unbelievable that I have to like worry about now, you know, as a 32 year old, just the things that people just completely take for granted and don't even. Don't even bat bat an eye at, and now I'm just, you know, I have to be literally cautious about literally everything that I do. Um, again, you know, it, getting out of bed in the in the morning is just is such a, an effort and a task. Um, I've gone to a point now where, no matter how much baclofen or Valium, again, I'll get into all that later. Is just some of the medications I take for to help reduce the spasticity in my legs and arms, etc. No matter how much I take the night before, I'll, when I go to start waking up, my legs just want to lock in, you know, into extension. You know, they, they want to just lock and straighten out, and then it's hard to bend them. And when I try to bend them or move them, they'll start just shaking uncontrollably. Um, and that's that's disturbing and, and bothersome and affects me just... Even trying to get out of bed, and then my I've noticed more recently that my arms are doing it more too. Though, 
It's almost like that Clonus response. I don't know if I had talked to you guys about Clonus, but kind of an uncontrollable rhythmic sort of oscillatory movement. Um, it's a reflex, but it's an abnormal one. It's not something you should have. It's where your body just uncontrollably kind of moves in a certain direction and it kind of just, it's it gets, again, it's damaged to your spinal cord and in your brain and then your body's not able to kind of control its movements as well. So your body, so you'll just start going to these stupid sort of uncontrollable movements for, you know, a little bit, depending on, on the position you put your body in. And when I wake up in the morning, my body is completely dead. Like I have no strength anywhere. I can barely walk. I can barely push. Um, I really have to be careful because if I were to fall on the floor, you know, early, especially early in, early in the morning, I I don't even think I'd have the strength to get push myself back up to my hands and knees from laying on the ground because I have no strength when I first wake up in my chest, my arms, my legs. It's just, it's it's terrible. And I wish, you know, I wish I could do something to address that a little bit. I'm trying to, but, you know, that's kind of where I've been at, you know, just more recently it's just been it's been just so challenging just doing that dealing with that from a day-to-day basis and then once I'm even up you know I'm I'm kind of bracing I'm completely bracing on furniture or walls or whatever because if I put any weight um this is this is the weird thing with with this I with the extensor tone, once I'm up and moving, I have to watch. It wants to pull me forward, and, and I want to kind of be back on my heels more. However, when I, after I've been sitting or laying down or not moving for a while, I have to actually kind of bend forward because if I put any weight on my heels and I'm not holding on to something, I will fall backwards completely, like with, within a second. There's no stopping it, and there's nothing stopping my fall either. I have, I have no stepping response, especially going backwards. So I won't be able to like, you know, a normal person if they start feeling that's gonna happen, they'd step back real quick and crack themselves. Like I, I, I have, I virtually have nothing of that, of that stepping ability left. Um, so I really have to be careful when I wake up in the morning, and then I'm leaning forward and have, you know, just destroying my posture more uh, because, again, I can't be putting weight through my heels until I'm up for a while. My legs kind of wake up because I'll just fall right backwards. And, um, again, that's that's been taking a toll on my posture, too. That's another thing. Over the past month or so, I've been really struggling with posture. Um, and that's just so painful for me, too, because I'm a physical therapist and... I, I'd always pride myself on my posture and I'd always, you know, be educating people on posture and felt like I sh- would always strengthen my posture and have good posture. And now, and now I just find myself, my head just wants to fall forward all the time. It wants to fall down, you know, especially as I'm getting, I'm getting noticing more as, as the day goes on. I, I fatigue and my neck just, it doesn't even want to hold itself up. I feel like I'm losing the ability to cervically retract my, you know, kind of do like a chin tuck. 
my head, my chin just wants to jut forward into that forward head posture, and my spine wants to round more into more of that kyphosis. So I've been doing everything I can from an exercise standpoint to try to counter that, but you know, I'm just, as I'm walking throughout the day and get tired, my body just wants to assume that position. So I'm constantly fighting it. And um, I actually, you know, reluctantly, I was, people have been talking to me about it and I didn't want to, but I've decided to just buy a little posture brace just because, I mean, I can't keep taking the, the toll it's putting on my neck and my upper thoracic spine. It's just, it's astronomical and it's, it's, so disruptive and painful and I'm looking down to like take my pills or looking down to eat or looking down to send a text it just everything just strains and bothers my neck so you know I, I'm trying the best is when I can just like sit in a reclining chair or sitting somewhere with complete back support and I can kind of finally do like a chin tuck and get my head back in a neutral spot or I'll do it against the wall just to kind of I'll re-engage those muscles in a proper way. So the posture has definitely been something that I've been fighting and struggling with more over the past month. I'm hoping this brace will help kind of re-correct things a little bit. However, as you guys know, you know, if you use a brace all the time, your muscles get weaker. So I still don't want to be wearing it 24-7. It's just, you know, I think maybe it would help from time to time. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of where I'm at, it's it's been very challenging. I mean, I've, I've again, I've had times where I haven't been able to get off the floor. Um, it's just just heartbreaking, just terrible, terrible moments. I'll be having a good day, and suddenly one little dumb thing will happen, and then I'll get, you know, like. Again, I will, if I can't get off the floor and my wife has to help me or, I mean, how degrading, degrading it is, you know, as knowing who I was and then I'm being reduced to this. And not only does that just upset me from like a, you know, standpoint of just how pathetic that is, but... And also the anxiety and stress it puts me in, it sends my body into a a very bad state of increased stress and anxiety, which therefore greatly increases my spasticity, my tone, my all my all my symptoms of ALS get worse. So then I'll feel like I, then I can't walk as well. I'm worried more about falling. I feel like I you know I. I become, my feet feel like they're more glued to the floor, especially when I'm trying to turn um, literally everything. And it's, it, it, like, it affects and make, like, it, re, it, like, inflames my body and it happens. And then something, you know, like that, when that, that happens, that inflames my body and I'm kind of just stuck in this worst state for a while. And it's just, you know, no matter what I, however I try to meditate and, get my mind get my mind right it's it's so hard um it's so hard to do at times so you know that's been a struggle as well you know this is another kind of heavy topic but you know I'll I'll briefly bring this up now 
Um, you know, I I don't know where I'm going to be in a few months, you know, even just a month or two, let alone, you know, our, our baby's due on July 28th, or excuse me, July 18th. Um, and I honestly don't know where I'm going to be at that point. My goal, obviously, you know, I... I will, you know, hope in some in some miracle, some way I can figure something out that can be doing a little bit better or, you know, stabilized or whatever. I mean, I hope to be around, you know, I got to be able to make it to at least see our, 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 uh, our child being born. Um, that, that's my goal right now. Um, outside of that, I don't really know. To what level I'm gonna be, you know, present after that. Um, again, you know, this is a very heavy, thing, heavy thing to discuss. But I just, uh, what kind of quality of life I'm gonna be having? I mean, I already feel like my quality of life is just is it, it, it to me it hardly is the quality of life. That it's hardly a life at all. I'm literally a shadow of my former self. I mean, I'm my spirit and my soul are trapped in this decaying, dying body, physical body, and I just and I can't do anything about it. I mean, I'm trying to do something about it, but this disease is relentless. It's oppressive. It's it's unmerciful. It's 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 a living hell every day with this. So it takes all my mental fortitude and willpower just to be able to get up in the morning and just be able to try to face another day and get up and start walking. And I mean, believe me, there are days where I just, it's it's hard to even, you know, want to keep going on at all just because it's just, it gets so depressing and just so, so dark and so sad for me sometimes and you know, I have to kind of try to really write my mind. And the the mental component of this, like we had talked about in the other podcast, or the mental component is almost more challenging than the physical just because, you know, it's it's finding that grit, finding that gumption, that determination to keep going. You know, keep trying to have faith, keep trying to have hope that, something I'm doing or, you know, one of the things, intervention, something I'm doing is going to make some sort of difference and maybe put put things in a little bit more of a better direction for me so this disease just does not progress at the rate it has been because it if it keeps going the way it's going, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to be going to be around for too much longer. Um. And again, it's just the reality of the situation. But my goal right now is just to see our baby being born in July, and that's I gotta be around. I gotta be around for that. And uh, after that, I I don't know. I don't know where I'll be. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing. But we're just gonna take it one day at a time, one 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 goal at a time. And the goal is to be alive for the baby. For the baby being born, you know, obviously, you know, hopefully everything works out better this time regarding the baby situation. 
as compared to, to the last time with Emery. Uh, we just had an anatomy scan and everything was looking really good at 20 weeks. So keeping our fingers crossed and hoping things continue to progress well with everything. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're at with the timeline there. I mean, I'm going to periodically update you guys, you know, throughout the podcast episodes, just kind of where I'm at, if anything drastically changed. I mean, and that's just, uh, that's that's where I'm going to keep doing that with you guys, just to kind of let you know where I'm at with things. And, you know, hopefully can kind of, figure out a way to slow this down or even stop and stabilize it. I mean, that's that's goal number one. I mean, if we could, if I can somehow do that, that would be, I mean, that would be, that would be huge. That would be everything because the way this disease works is it's, it can be progress quite quickly and it's very rapidly and you can go from walking with no device to a cane or a walker to a wheelchair and over the course of, you know, a couple months or less. Um, and it's, it's devastating. Devastating to the individual from a mental and physical standpoint. And again, it's, it's something you just have to take it day by day. And, you know, I try not to focus on where, how are things going to be a month from now or a year from now? And just trying just try to tell myself, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here today. Today is a new day. Hopefully it will be a good day. And it's going to keep pushing and we're going to keep going. Because what the, what's the alternative? The alternative is, is, de- is, is being dead. So I got, I got to keep going right now. So... That's kind of where I'm at with things from the timeline standpoint. And like I said, I'll keep you guys updated on all of that going forward here. And, you know, we'll we'll recircle these topics and other things like I've said in the past. Uh, I'm going to transition here a little bit more to some of the potential causes of, of ALS. And then we'll kind of start getting into some of the interventions and stuff I've been doing to try to treat this. Took a brief break there. So I looked up the medication for the genetic variant I was talking about earlier. I believe it is called uh, Tofersen or generic or brand and name is Qualocity or something along those lines. So anyone listening to this that has ALS and hasn't been tested for the genetic variant, please go and do so because if for some reason you have the genetic version, uh, I believe it is this drug that has been showing some uh, promising signs of, of treatment and potentially really slowing or stopping or even slightly reversing this condition, which is, again, unheard of. And the medications I'll get into later, unfortunately, do not do anything more than modestly slow it down. And I mean very modestly. So uh, just just a little bit of information there regarding that. Anyway, so... 
let's kind of go into some of the causes a little bit. I'm going to forewarn you guys that uh, this segment's definitely going to be a bit heavy. Um, some personal things I'm going to discuss with you guys. And uh, I feel like it's something you all need to know. And it would be a disservice not to go over, you know, everything that I think has kind of contributed to uh, me developing this at such a young age. Um, so I just want to, again, give you guys a little heads up. This is, this specific segment will be a little bit, <laughs> well, as if this whole podcast isn't usually pretty heavy and a bit much at times. Um, I'm just just forewarning you guys that this segment's a little, this part's going to be a little bit, you know, it's really, really personal to me. So, um, but again, I want to share it with you guys. I'm like, I've, like I've said time and again, I'm being as open and honest as possible. And I'm kind of just stream of conscious, just kind of going and telling you guys what's on my mind and what's, what's in my mind. And, <laughs> and, you know, you certainly are, feel free to turn it off at any point, you know, you're no one's, no one's required to listen to this, but um, I'm, I'm hoping it's doing some good for people and giving a good perspective. And you know, my like I said, my goal is to just reach out to anyone that's faced any of these, can any of these things that I've talked about or anything in general, and just be there as you know someone that you know we can reach out and kind of communicate and. You know, I want to be there to help people. So I feel like telling you guys my journey is even the some of the pretty dark and sad parts is is imperative with this whole podcast. So anyway, causes. Um, so you look on, you know, of course, you go on Google, you type in what causes ALS. There's a million things that will pop up. Um. I'll go over a couple of brief traditional things. Um, one of the one of the first things that always come up is something like pesticides. Um, so people that are around a lot of pesticides, you know, with like those sorts of chemicals. Um, again, nobody can point, and like I said, no no one can put a finger on what really causes this. These are all just potential, um predispose excuse me predisposing factors that can kind of you know predispose and put somebody at a higher risk of developing it you know when they're right with the with the certain combination of things so pesticides is definitely one now me personally um i you know i never really dealt with pesticides i one summer uh, after i graduated from lebanon valley college before you know, I took a year off in between before I went to physical therapy school. But during that summer, um, I worked as I was uh, <laughs> did kind of like a mosquito related job where I would trap mosquitoes and we check them for West Nile virus. Um, a couple times I did use uh, a pesticide, but, but rarely it wasn't. It was only a couple times throughout the summer, and I think it was something like pyrethrum or 
I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's something along those lines. But I only used it a handful of times, and it was just one summer. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not super convinced that the pesticides were probably any major contributing factor in my situation, or in my case. Um, another one that you know you'll see or that I've come across the red is just other chemical exposure, um, et cetera, you know, <laughs> as you guys, you know, but, you know, many of you know, I grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and um, <laughs> there's a little fun thing that, that happened, I believe, was it 70s or 80s, well, I, whatever, before I was alive, but uh, a little nuclear accident called uh, at Three Mile Island, that's inside of 20 miles from where I live. It's that Three Mile Islands down in Middletown, Pennsylvania, which is essentially almost still considered part of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So um, obviously that didn't have, the, the nuclear issue happened way before I was alive and it was shut down and everything. But who knows with the lingering effects of you know, if that, if that breathing that air in or the water or anything had anything to do with anything, I mean, I feel like probably not a huge amount because it, I would feel like there'd be more people that I would, that I know that grew up around that area that would have other serious conditions like ALS or something else. And, um, you know, who it's speculation at this point. So who who really knows? But um, my my wife often makes jokes about about me being so close to a nuclear power plant. That's kind of <laughs> made me uh, all messed up. Just just saying it in a joking way. But um, it's it's hard to say if they really had any sort of contributing factor. I mean, probably not. But just something to think about. Um, another one that I've come across and that is a little bit more interesting, I'm going to get into this more of the interventions too, is, uh, a lot of like heavy metal exposure, um, things like lead, uh, mercury, um, molds, um, arsenic, different chemicals like that, um, there's been some literature out there. Some say that it has nothing to do, it doesn't have anything to do with causing ALS. Others say suggest it could. Again, you can, you can get lost in in the searching of things on Google forever with this condition, and you'll find one one site or one source saying that it does cause it. The next one says it's a bunch of BS and doesn't cause doesn't cause it. I mean. And everything in between, so it's it's really impossible to to know. But again, I I've been leaving no stone unturned in terms of everything possible to uh, look into and address. Um, and again, I'm going to get into this more later. But I I did have a little to uh, toxicology and heavy metal tests done, and um, interestingly enough, my uh, my mercury levels. And were extremely high, and uh, mold levels were moderately high, 
And actually, my arsenic levels were also very high, which is interesting. I, I don't know where that, why, especially the mercury, the mercury and the arsenic especially, just that was definitely kind of uh, threw me off. It was definitely kind of surprising to me. Um, I certainly didn't, didn't eat like a crap ton of swordfish or I did eat some tuna, you know, which certainly has mercury, but I never eat like exorbitant amounts of seafood. So, um, and I know that's one way you can get mercury or having the old dental cavity implants before composite, but that I, I, all my cavities are, were from, were composite, not mercury. So it's hard to say. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of getting more of that tested. It might start some chelation, but again, I'm veering off topic. That's that's for a, a discussion for a later time. Um. So then, there's all the causes. Um, things like excessive stress, trauma, um, head injuries, stuff like that. Um, or other potential predisposing factors and um. That's where I'm going to kind of get into a little bit now, and it gets this gets a bit personal for me, like I had said. So, um, you know, I've sat around, you know, <laughs> what more more than I can ever describe or tell you guys, thinking just getting lost in my thoughts. You know what what causes what what the heck happened? Like, what how am I in this situation? You know, being you know, relatively healthy individual and stuff and always taking, was taking care of my body and all that stuff. And then this all happens and I'm just trying to figure out why. And, um, you know, I've kind of narrowed it down to two, two major things I would say that have probably been a significant contributing factors in my situation for uh, developing this ALS, especially at such at such a young age. Um, so the first one I'll discuss is just stress. So, you know, I, I know in the previous episodes, I've kind of gone into you know, I in the stress of, and the stress of you know, having the responsibilities of feeling like I needed to be a parent to my brother with autism and being stressed and you know worrying about not being around and trying to and breaking away a little bit and not, you know, not feeling like you know not being guilty, or you know, or I should say, feeling guilty about not being there and you know, trying to establish my own identity, you know, that thing, you know, that was certainly um, kind of put me in that sort of stressful state a lot of the time. Unfortunately, this kind of just continued to grow over time. You know, that's this stress started back, you know, probably seriously sometime in like middle school, know, early teenage years and in the high school and college and beyond and, you know, kind of just festering and growing. And, you know, I, uh, 
it, it really, it really just, you know, I, I was not somebody real that would really want to share my feelings with others. I was very introverted and, um, you know, I kept everything inside and, and kept an internal inside of me. So the stress of just, you know, having that situation of, you know, feeling like I didn't have my own identity or feel guilty about branching off or branching out and, you know, doing things, dating people, hanging out with friends more and, you know, not being, not having to hang out with my family all the time or kind of hang out with my brother, or like, you know, make sure he was okay. Um, those were definitely, that kind of set me off in a, in a direction of just constant conflict, confliction and just an internal battle and struggle with myself that um, even to this day, I still, uh, not as much now, but I mean, I, I was definitely been was still struggling with this, you know, have been up till my thirties. Um, so this, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I want to, so much I want to word and try to convey here and I'm trying to do it in a way that is best, I could best describe it. Um, so, I, you know, I, this stress just kind of continued to grow and I would, you know, take things out on myself and just, it was very, um, it was very toxic. It was a very unhealthy thing for me to do. Um, you know, I, again, you know, I went, I, I went through high school not really doing a lot, of, a lot of the things that most people in high school do. You know, I missed out on a lot of opportunities. Um, I would kind of just force myself to, you know, spend more time with my family and do not, not do as much with with friends and you know more the doing more of the traditional things in high school when you grow up um you know that kind of somewhat carried into college you know i i think i kind of branched out a little bit more when i went off to live away from home and wasn't at home as much but again that's that internal struggle and and confliction was still always there, um, festering inside of me. And, you know, this, this kind of just continued through college. Like I would go home often and, you know, then I, you know, I had, you know, when I had kind of, you know, more serious girlfriend, I was always kind of conflicted with, with that situation. And, you know, she, she, uh, she didn't live like, she lived closer to where I went to physical therapy school, but not as close to like my, 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 where I was from in Harrisburg. So it was kind of always being conflicted about, you know, driving there, driving, going back and forth. And she wanted to live up, you know, live in this area, the one area. And I was kind of thinking I wanted to be in another area and just, 
again, just feeling constant guilt and just constant stress regarding those things. Um, you know, then worrying about, you know, I would think down the line of things like, well, if my, when my parents can't take care of my brother with autism anymore, like that's going to become my responsibility and I'm going to need to make sure I, I'm around to, to help with that. Like I need to be, I need to be present, you know, as much as I can be. And so I, again, continue to just have that stress building up and, you know, then, uh, went through a couple different breakups and stuff like that. And, you know, then I, you know, met my now, my, my now wife and, you know, we, we were very happy together. Um, but again, I still kind of found myself in that same situation of just struggling to, you know, kind of feel like I could break away, you know, and, you know, at this point I was getting to be in my like mid to late, my mid to late twenties and, you know, it starts to be like, well, you know, your friends and people are getting married and, you know, having kids and you start to feel like, well, if this is kind of the time to do those sorts of things. I, again, to each their own, you know, some people want to wait and I kind of wanted to wait a little bit. I didn't want to rush into like getting married or having kids at a younger age. I just knew I, I needed to try to develop and my own identity and I just didn't feel like I was ready and clearly mentally I was not um, because I was still so conflicted um, but anyway it was um, yeah just I would you know I found myself just constantly and this you know always just at night I'd feel like I'd have a, like a a nervous pit in my stomach being like, you know, I I would always go to sleep feeling that way. And it just, this continued stress would build up. Um, you know, I had, you know, there was issues with, and I'm not going to get in, into this specifically, but just relate relationship issues between, um, you know, my wife and my family and, you know, not, they didn't unfortunately always know things are cut a little bit stirred off a little bit rocky and just you no know, not you know it wasn't the best relationship that my family had with my uh my wife unfortunately but I mean it wasn't it wasn't bad but and it was certainly civil but it just wasn't there's kind of some awkward sort of tension on both sides and I kind of was just stuck in the middle of that and um then there'd be things like holidays and just, you know, struggling to try to figure out, well, let's, can we, you know, can we do this, do this, this house one year and this house the next or alternating and, or try to do both the same day, but that really wouldn't work because it's not like we lived you know, I feel like some couples luck out and both live in the same area so they can get away with, you know, being local and driving to one side of the family for lunch and one side of the family for dinner. But I didn't really have that option. So it was like an hour and a half away. And that's, you know, just it was just too much driving and just, 
you know, to me, I, and then, you know, it was just that my family would, you know, at times feel shortchanged and that I think they create some tension and, you know, I would, I would, I would just get, I certainly would get angry and upset and just, again, I internalized everything. So all, I'm going, I'm going off on tangent here, but what I'm saying with all of this stress, and again, this has been something that started at such a young age for me and just continued to just fester and build and you know, I really never got a good handle on it, um, despite therapies and medications and stuff. But, you know, when I, I had mentioned in an earlier podcast, that whole fight or flight response. So your body's in kind of a state of like constant state of uh, stress or that sort of sympathetic, excuse me, sympathetic, just a fancy name for kind of like your body's like revved up. It's you know you like you gotta you gotta run away from that lion or you know you gotta take down that animal. Cause you're, it's like a primal sort of like instinct thing, but it's like your body's nervous system. You know you're you're like constantly in that like high level stress situation where your body your nerves are firing and they're firing and they're firing and like. You know, you, you, your, your body never knew. In my situation, you know, my body didn't know when to shut down into that more um, rest, rest and digest period, which is also known as the parasympathetic. So that kind of more relaxed state where like your nerves can kind of, things can kind of shut off a little bit more. You can kind of relax, you can kind of, let your let your body heal and rebuild itself from the stress it was placed under. You know, unfortunately, I didn't let my I didn't allow myself to have a lot of that. I I unfortunately found myself always being in that sort of sympathetic fight or flight stress response mode and it just you know, it it it, it wreaked havoc in my body. I mean, clearly, I mean it's your nerves are just continuing the fire, and you know, just because you're just so stressed, and you know, it's and I would just find myself in situations that just made me more stressed, or I'd be thinking about, you know, things, future things with like my brother or my family, and and you know where I was living an hour and a half away. Like, do I want to keep doing that? I. You know, I, I, should I be, should I be closer and, you know, it just, there was, and then having, I would always have these kind of like get into it with like my family or my wife or just these stressful conversations regarding all this and this stuff just kept building up. And again, I, certain times I wasn't listening to my gut about what I, you know, probably should have been doing or what I should have, should have done and just continued to let myself stay in that, that constant state of stress. That, that I really think played a major contributing factor regarding all of this, that constant state of stress. Um, you know, I talked about, and I'm going to go back to it more, but the, 
glutamate, which is the an excitatory neurotransmitter that that um you you know you it sends a signal for your for your cells to fire and you know and that's normal. I mean, you want that, you need to have that, but unfortunately, in my case. I never let that system shut off because I was always in that stress that stressful state. This wasn't just like a one week or a couple weeks of like stress. This was like years, years of being like this. And I mean, I don't care how strong you are physically, mentally, whatever. There's always so much your body can take. Um and I think it just, my body just kind of came to a breaking point with all of this. And it kind of just, it, it breaking point to the point where it was like, okay, well, we're just going to start shutting down and deteriorating. And I think, you know, that could have meant a lot of things, a lot of different diseases. In my case, it meant ALS, like, for whatever reason, you know, my, my motor nerves just started to, uh, started to kind of deteriorate and break down. Um, and again, you know, all that glutamate, that, that, that becomes toxic because neuroexcitotoxicity, um, that, uh, that becomes, that becomes detrimental to cells. And if, if that glutamate's not reabsorbed as it should be, and that becomes toxic and kills cells, and I really, I really think that this stress that I absorb, I've been absorbing over the years, this chronic, unresolved stress, you know, really just, really kind of set me in a direction. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only thing that caused it, but I think it really, really predisposed me to, to having developing this condition. You know, in addition, I meant to bring this up earlier, you know, this chronic stress caused a lot of other problems too. It wasn't just, you know, it manifested itself in other ways as well. You know, I <laughs> I have early uh, early onset male, male pattern baldness. Now, I think it's part of it runs in the family genetic wise. So like androgenic alopecia is a fancy name, but you know, I was losing my hair early, but I think honestly that I lost my hair a little faster because of just this chronic stress. Um, another thing, um, unfortunately, you know, again, personal, what I'm going to tell you guys is my, uh, my testosterone levels uh, plummeted for a while, um, into the like 200s to, you know, low three, like really like in the 200s and, you know, I suffered all the consequences of having low testosterone, as you guys, as people can imagine, what you know, knowing what those those issues are, and um, I really again contributed to this just this chronic unresolved stress that I just I could not get a handle of. Um, no, it just it just wrecks your body and like. You know, I, I, I find myself just thinking like, I even find myself thinking this, and this is way before I developed ALS, like, God, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like at times my brain, I feel like I'm like a 50 or 60 year old already, 
because I've just been through so much stress and I feel just run down. Um, I would literally think that to myself or feel like I've I've already gone through so much of my life because I've just been so stressed and, you know, I feel like I've took on so many responsibilities already and I just felt run down, you know, as like a t- mid-20-year-old when I should be in the in the prime prime time of my life. Um, I remember also, interestingly enough, you know, I, I started, you know, I would just find myself getting really tired throughout the day sometimes. And, you know, it could have been some of the low testosterone things. I mean, who, there's so many things, but, you know, and everyone always gets that mid-afternoon law with like, oh, I get sleepy around three and, and get a little cup of coffee or whatever. And, and like, that's the people I'd equate it to and I would equate it to for myself. But God, there were days where I would just be like, I would just get, my body felt like it was just shut, shutting down. And I almost wonder if it was the beginning of, of this, um, like, uh, my mitochondria, which again, I'm starting to get in the technical terms that I'll talk about more later, but, Essentially, the mitochondria are your energy powerhouses to your cells, and they provide the ATP, which fuels your cells and hence fuels your body to be able to move and do everything you need to do throughout the day just to function and live. And, you know, I felt like at times, like, I would almost feel like my body was just not producing enough of that. And I would just, I would just need to rest. I would just have to like close my eyes. And I remember it's, I definitely remember it happening a lot throughout physical therapy school and during class or like when I'd be studying or I would just, I would just get certain, certain times of the day where it would just like hit me and I would just have to kind of sit down and rest my eyes for a while to just kind of recover and I really, I really do often wonder if that was kind of the beginning of this whole, this whole thing. Because with ALS, you know, when your cell, when your mitochondria break down and stop functioning, your your cell stops producing energy, and therefore the cell dies. And that's what I'm almost wondering, which was was kind of the, the beginning of very early signs of this you know, ALS situation that I'm now in. So now comes another thing that's, um, you know, I, I uh, when I first was decided to do this podcast, I, I was completely and instantly thinking, this is something that I want to share with people. Um, you know, this, this thing that, um, do I want to share everything? Do I want to disclose everything? Do I want to keep some things from people? And, you know, I, I'm deciding to share this um, just because, like I said, I feel it would be a disservice to all of you listeners out there. Just, you know, I want to shed some light on some, you know, potential reasons as to why I have this. And, you know, it's very personal, very, you know, very much delving deep into the re- the recesses of my brain where I've kind of repressed things and stuff I don't really want to ever bring up or talk about. Um, 
but I feel like I, I should, I want to at least just mention it briefly just because I think it's of major importance regarding me getting this condition. Um, so that being said, um, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm going back, going into all more of my stress and everything that, you know, I kind of was just constantly battling and fighting and just, you know, dealing with from my teenage years, early teenage years on. And unfortunately, it kind of got to the point, you know, throughout like end of middle school and the high school, I, uh, you know, things, things were really bad for me. Um, uh, mentally and physically too, but mentally I was just really not good. Um, uh, mentally I was, you know, I would say I was mentally ill and, you know, very emotionally just, excuse me, uh, emotionally disturbed. Um, and, you know, I, with, between all the anxiety and the stress and the frustration, you know, and the guilt, Guilt was a big thing. Just guilt of, guilt of you know, of you know wanting to, you know, be with my family, take you know, kind of stay more around with my family and look after my brother and all that stuff, and versus going out and doing more of the traditional things that you know most people in high school do. Um, I kind of took to some some uh, unfortunately self-destructive behaviors. Um fortunately there you know this wasn't this wasn't um and I don't want to say traditional but more your quote unquote things maybe you hear people do more often it was you know like if you're like burning yourself or cutting yourself and I mean those are some of the probably maybe more common things you'll hear people do if they're you know self-destructing self-destructive behaviors um you know in my situation I unfortunately kind of got into this horrible situation of kind of I would be ended up like kind of hitting my head um deliberately um at different times um again it's almost like a kind of and I don't I don't want to really get into details with this because this is very uh sensitive and I really repressed this because it was just such a awful time in my life and you know and some of you listening know this already or many of you do not um but I just I was in a really 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 bad place mentally through that you know end of middle school and the like beginning of high school um, I ended up even going into, um, uh, twice into a psychiatric hospital, um, just because of, it got, uh, it got pretty out of hand and, um, my family didn't know what to do. I mean, and they did, they did everything they possibly could have. My goodness. I mean, I, you know, I, I was on. I was on psychotropic medications A through Z. Um, I was I must have you know during this course of all this I must have seen 
15 to 20 different sort of psychotherapists, five or 10 psychiatrists, you know, psychologists, you, you name it. Um, you know, I, I did, I, I even went down to like Philadelphia to see some world renowned specialists. Um, whether you want to call it like an, an OCD obsessive compulsive disorder, or like a tick disorder, whatever the case may be, it was, I, you know, was extremely, I became just extremely self-destructive and just, it it was just, it, I mean, it was, even just talking about it now, just, um, you know, it, it evokes a lot of emotion and uh, it makes me sick. I mean, and all that stuff, you know, I, and no, I never, I never told anybody about that. I mean, people knew that I went to, you know, some people knew that I went to school with and whatever and growing up with and obviously my family, but yeah, I, I, I really, I really, really, really struggled significantly. Um, and I definitely had some probably pretty significant head trauma from all the things that the, the you know, the thing, you know, with the hitting my head and sort of stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, you know, that, that, that comes back, that comes, that comes with a price to pay. I mean, you know, most people have heard of things like CTE, chronic, you know, traumatic encephalopathy. I mean, like any other tissue that gets hit and gets hurt, you know, your brain's, your brain swells, your brain's inflamed, your nerves are inflamed. And, you know, I, I can, unfortunately, again, unfortunately, this wasn't just like over the course of like one week or one month that this happened. Like this was kind of on and off for several years. Um, you know, I I missed some of, I literally wasn't even in was my, my freshman year of high school. I didn't even really, I kind of didn't even really start because I was in and out of the hospital and then did like partial programs. And I mean, I was just so mentally unstable at that time. It was just, it was, it was, ter it was beyond terrible. Um, and I, again, I, I missed out on a lot of opportunities of just being able to develop, you know, more traditionally. And, you know, I, I, I would do anything to take I'll go back and be able to kind of redo all that and do things differently, but fortunately, that's not it's not how life works. And you now you gotta, you know, unfortunately, things have consequences, and you know, with all the impact my head has had, my head has had between that and the just the constant stress. I really think, you know, those two things are really the main drivers, main contributing factors as to why I just sporadically developed this horrific condition at such a young age. 
of of thirty. Um, you know, I honestly, I almost would have, from my from my mental health standpoint, I honestly don't know how I even pulled myself out of getting out of that self destructive behavior. Um, but, you know, I I was almost at the point where I probably would have ended up in a a residential or a group home. I mean, it was it was that bad. And thank, thank, thankfully, thank God, thank whoever, whatever, if you believe in a spiritual being, whatever, whatever you believe in. I mean, whatever the case is, I was able to pull myself out enough and get it back into school and academics, right? And was able to, you know, go on and get a degree and become a physical therapist and do all that and, you know... I was always such a nice guy to people, like almost probably at times too nice to people. Um, I was horrible to myself. I treated myself like complete shit when I was like such a good person and I was so hard on myself, um, literally, physically, figuratively, and literally just so hard on myself all these years. And, you know, I'll... I really, you know, I don't have owe anyone any apologies or anything, but, you know, I, I sit and just feel sorry and apologize to myself for for what I've done. And, you know, my, what I put my body through over this, you know, probably, you know, how, over half my life just... It's not right, and I, you know, I would do anything to to redo things and start over, and just, you know, but again, you don't, you know, you don't realize that, you know, life has its consequences, and like I said, I mean, you can't specifically say that those two things or whatever things specifically cause the ALS condition. But like I've, like I've said, and I've sat around, thought about it and, and with all my speculation and and my best guesses as to why I have this and why I developed this, um, it is for those reasons, uh, this, between this, uh, chronic and just horrific amount of stress that was left unmanaged and unchecked and just the the head trauma that I had self-induced. I really think those, unfortunately, those two things shed the most light as to likely causes as to why I'm in this current situation. So honestly I feel I felt like the, like I said, I felt like this before even getting this condition, but I felt like honestly, even in my mid to late twenties I would feel like I had the brain or felt like I had the physical body of like a sixty year old. Like I just felt run down and like I've put my body through so much, and I mean you've 
people have read, like stress, stress is where it can be worse than smoking. I mean, stress can age your body, you know, significantly. And I mean, I really think it has in my situation, like it aged, you know, my, my biological age, maybe 32, but physiologically, my body is and it would be like a 70, 7, 60, 70 year old, just with all the trauma, the stress I've put, I've put it through. And I mean, it's so sad because I've always been such a good, you know, I'd like to think of always. I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. I mean, <laughs> certainly not to myself, but to others either. But, like, I've always felt that I've been, you know, a, a good guy, and I've always tried to do the right thing. And, you know, I, at times I almost felt, you know, I was trying to be, I was almost too good or trying to be too too perfect. And I just completely self-imploded on myself and, you know, internalizing everything, you know, that that does does not help. That makes it worse and it just leaves you in just this constant state of stress, which is exactly what I did. Um, so, yeah, I know that's a lot to absorb for all of you guys listening. Um, I just, I wanted to get that out there. I wanted to tell you guys that. Because I really think it sheds some light into, onto all of this, and, you know, I and it just also educates all of you on the importance of just, you know, take care of yourself. I mean, God, I. Do you know really? You know, don't be afraid to reach out for help. I I'm happy to talk to people too if people are listening and wanna reach out, I mean, just to have somebody to talk to, you know, talk to or, you know, see a, see a therapist, see, you know, not that you, not that you, I want to encourage people taking medicine, but sometimes, you know, certain medications can kind of help just readdress the brain, brain chemistry just enough to help, you know, help you and, you know, get, get the help you need. And you know, protect and protect your head because, obviously, as I mean, even before me telling you all this, you got people. People know, you know, continuous head trauma is is very dangerous. We've seen it, seen it with a lot of football player, NFL players, and boxers. And I mean, you you really can pay the price with that on um, years years down the line with the. With the the trauma and the throughout the brain, so yeah, I mean that's a lot to take in, and I you know I I hope I've not <laughs> overwhelmed anybody too much by saying all this, but again, I like I said, I just wanted to be upfront and honest with everyone regarding my past and. You know, the situations and events that have led up to, you know, where I am today and, you know, why, why potentially shedding light as to why I am, I have this condition at this point in time. So, anyway, I, we're going to now transition <laughs> after all that heavy stuff, let's. 
I'm going to finish up this podcast episode with a, just getting into a little discussion regarding um, interventions. Um, I'm Like I said, this is probably going to be two or three episodes worth of just information because it's a lot. And I've researched a lot and I've I've tried a lot of things and I'm trying I'm gonna be trying other things and um I think today I just wanna kinda go over and discuss the traditional Western medicine approach to treating ALS. I think that's kind of a good place to start as to you know, what, what, if you go see a neurologist at a traditional sort of, you know, ALS clinic or, you know, whatever, you know, what, what is, what are they going to recommend? What are they going to suggest? And, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive into that. Yeah, so we are going to now transition into a whole different uh, area in terms of the podcast now going to be spending the next few episodes talking about uh pretty much everything I've been doing to try to c- combat this disease uh being supplemental and experimental and other things related to that nature I I have said this before but this is now the time I'm really going to say it and I very much emphasize this that's a full, full, very full disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I'm not a neurologist. Um, I don't have those credentials. I've done, all this has been done on my own research, on my own accord. So anything that I'm telling you guys listening, uh, you know, don't go out and just jump right into whatever I'm doing because I'm just, I'm just saying what I, what I did personally what I've researched, what I've found. Um, I don't, you know, it's always best to still consult your doctor. You know, if if anyone listening to this does have ALS or something similar, you know, do what's right for you. I always tell people to follow your gut with it. Um, I will tell you guys my opinions on of things, but again, I'm not recommending or suggesting anyone to do one treatment or supplement or another or whatever. So I just, again, full disclaimer that I'm simply informing all of you and telling you guys what I am personally doing for myself, Uh, not making any medical recommendations or any such thing. Okay, so that being said, you know, like I'm just going to talk about some of the Western medicine approach here. I wrap this segment up because it's certainly been a longer one. Like I said, uh, it's. I think we're pushing over an hour and a half, <laughs> almost in the episode already. So I don't want to make this too much longer. Um, so. When you get diagnosed, you pretty much you know the the doctor goes over, you know the neurologist goes over you know your your medication options which. As of right now, there there are three approved FDA approved medications for ALS specifically to treat. Well, I shouldn't even say treat to a, to a, to attempt to address ALS 
So, again, going back to the whole glutamate thing, I know I've mentioned that word a few times. Again, glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter, which means it stimulates nerves to fire. And again, that's something we all need, obviously. That's normal. It it stimulates nerves to fire. It opens up sodium and calcium channels, allows the nerves, you know, action potentials, nerve, nerve, to fire and send signals to other nerves, to muscle, etc. I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty details. That's not the point here. But the point is just glutamate itself, if left unchecked and continuing to fire, becomes t- uh, toxic to the cell. Um, specifically, the term is uh, you know, glutamate or neuroexcitotoxicity. Uh, again, Continuous firing and not allowing that cell to have that kind of refractory period or rest period is very unhealthy. And if that continues to happen, that will cause things like cell death. And that is one of the, there's lots of potential proposed mechanisms of what, you know, what ALS or what what causes it or in terms of biological or physiologic principles, and I'll, I'll get into those. I mean, but the one of the biggest things that we do know that's in the research that's definitely been established is that, that this neurotransmitter or neuromodulator, however you want to word it, um, glutamate, again, is just wreaking havoc in the body. It, it Essentially, it goes past... You know, it gets outside of that synaptic cleft or the area between cell to cell where it's supposed to be. And that it then kind of bleeds out into the extra cells, cellular space. Again, I apologize. I'm trying not to use too many big words here. Um, If anyone has any questions, please clarify. I'm going to try to explain everything as I I say it, you know, not not throw too many big terms around. Uh, Extracellular space is just... Space literally outside of where the cells are. Um, so this glutamate, this glutamate gets, gets ends up going where it's not supposed to go because there's such an ex- excess of it because it keeps firing. Um, and it starts to uh, attack things like your nervous system. Um, it, it will start to induce that continuous firing of other nerves nearby. And... Like I said, ALS specifically attacks the motor nerves. So these are the nerves that help you to do everything in terms of movement to any capacity. Um, and uh, when this starts to happen, it, you know, it, it breaks the cells down and eventually the cells die. Uh, this, is, uh, this is often noted in when you see that fasciculation or those twitches. Um, what I talked about before, where you kind of just see your muscles twitching uncontrollably and you can't stop it. Um, that's kind of what's going on. That's essentially what you're kind of seeing is the result of that glutamate just firing excessively, causing your muscles to continuously contract um, uncontrollably. And that is not obviously a good thing. And, you know, that will lead to nerves dying, cells dying, and ultimately muscles atrophying and dying as well. So the medications 
two of the three medications that are FDA approved, they try to slow down this, this glutamate process. Um, they're glutamate an, antagonist, um, essentially just meaning they, they, try, they try to block excess glutamate from, you know, causing, continuing to cause these problems in the body of someone with ALS. Um, the two medications are the first one, which has been around, I think, since like the late 90s, is uh, Ryuzol or Riluzol, or also sometimes known as like Riluzol or Riluzol. I don't know the exact pronunciation of it, but um, that's the most established medication that they have. And um, it's the one they usually, is the first one they usually prescribe to people. I, I do take this one. Um, problem is, and this is where I'm going to get into, you know, some of the negatives is that it doesn't, in terms of what it does, it's not very effective. Um, the mean average of extension of life from taking this medication is approximately five to six months. So I, I don't deem that as being very very promising treatment option, obviously, and I'm sure nobody else would say so either. Um, so now there's some debate if, if you're younger and you start taking it or the sooner you start taking it, that may, that may, that extension of life may extend more into like a year or two or whatever. I mean, no one really knows. You know, and, and again, if you're going to ask me oh, extension of life, if I'm in a wheelchair and not, you know, require breathing assistance and feeding assistance and it's going to extend my life in that quality for another five months, like, just just let me die. Because like what that's to me, I, I it's not that's not a life I want to be living. So it's like I want to be able to continue to function and be up and moving and doing what I need to do the best I can. So the Ryuzol, you take, you know, twice a day, 50 milligrams. I do, I have been taking that pretty much since I was officially diagnosed last July. Um, again, I don't, that's the, usually the first go-to medication that they'll prescribe for people. And that you'll often see. The second one that I, t I do take as well, um, not always consistently, just because it's a process, is another medication that is, I think, the mo la most latest approved um, from, uh, from like 2016 or 17. It's called uh, Relivrio. Uh, and uh, let me tell you guys, it is the worst tasting thing you'll you'll ever you would ever experience um i mean hopefully none of you listening to this have to ever take it um but if anyone does take it listening to this you'll know what i mean um it, it you mix it you have to mix it in like water and it is the most putrid rank disgusting tasting stuff you'll you'll ever have to try to force down <laughs> And believe me, it, it is it is god awful, and it's beyond better. And the aftertaste is is horrendous. I usually, it says it says like room temperature water. I usually crank the water up pretty hot because I've I've found that the hotter the water is, the less 
slightly less bad tasting it is. Not, again, doesn't help that much, but then I usually try to gulp it down as quick as I can, and then I'll try to drink some coffee or something just to help get that disgusting bitterness out of my mouth. <laughs> but again, this Relivrio powder, again, the I've looked up the research and the statistics, and, uh, you know, again, it's... It's in terms of what it can do to extend life, it's still in that five to seven month range. So again, very modest, not, you know, not, um, not anything significant. Again, not like it's going to extend your life 10, 10 or 20 years. And you, I mean, none of the medicine they have for this disease is even close to that. I mean, literally nothing. Except maybe if you're taking that, uh, the gen the genetic one, which I'm not sure, like I said specifically, but I know it's been much more successful uh, in treating people with the genetic variant of ALS. Um, so the Relivrio, I take the Riazole and the Relivrio, and those are the two medications I take for ALS specifically. Uh, the Re the Relivrio, I'm supposed to do do a powder in a glass of water twice a day. I <laughs> I'll be honest with you, there's days where I, I just don't get around to taking it at all or I just take it once. I mean, it's, uh, let me tell you guys, you know, and I'll get into this more later, but I literally take so many freaking supplements, so many freaking, I have to mix like four or five different drinks of protein powders, um, electrolytes, other powder, it's, taking b12 injections I, I mean there's there's so many things and i just i get so sick of you know i'm spending like hours in the kitchen just doing all of this it's like a full-time job so there are just days where i just don't get to it and it's like whatever like i mean i i don't care that much i mean i usually take the riazole pill every day consistently twice a day but the relivrio i uh, you know, I don't always get to taking it twice a day. I try to, but it doesn't always happen. So it's whatever. The third medication that I am not taking, I could have, but I, I was back and forth to the insurance company. And I'm just like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't need another thing to take. It's called Radicava. Radicava is a little bit different. This one does not uh, this is necessarily focused on that glutamate neurotransmitter that the other two do focus on. This one's more of a, what we call a free, a free radical scavenger. So if you got, I'm sure some of you, many of you have heard free, what, free, you know, free, the word free radical, um, free radicals are essentially like, um, you know, chemical, or they're essentially like atoms, whatever in your body, like, you guys remember from chemistry like the valence electrons are trying to look for another electron you know they want to you know try to take a break a bond from something else and take a take a you know an electron from that i mean again i'm not going to get into the science side of it too much but free radicals are not a good thing is what i'm trying to say um and that's why we take things like antioxidants to help um reduce or decrease free radicals in in the in the body and everybody has them and is exposed to them all the time but again it's another proposed thing with ALS is that free radicals are just again they're your body just out of control and you have way too many free radicals and they're just destroying good they're destroying cell bonds that you need again like nerve cell bonds and 
just killing things off that should not be killed off. Um, so these free radicals are going around trying to, you know, breaking up good, healthy chemical bonds or like nerve nerves and stuff like that. So this Radikov is essentially something to try to help absorb and get rid of those free radicals. Like I said, I don't take this one. And to be honest, I you know, it's one I think you, you have to take and you can't eat or drink anything for like an hour afterwards. And it's like, I, I'm already doing that with other things. I, I have too much going on. It's just, I, I can't deal with that on top of everything else I'm already taking and doing throughout the day. Um, and again, I take so many other supplements and things that I feel like are I take the strongest antioxidants that you know I I that the world has to offer and um I don't feel like I need to take this on top of it because I'm already addressing things you know in terms of free radicals and I don't feel like I need to take just another medication that again modestly extends life you know a few months nothing significant I think they did a recent study actually where they found that it was even less effective than they originally thought. So it's just, again, all the medication choices for ALS for the sporadic version, it's just, they're not good. I mean, and that's, that's the shame of it. You know, you would think with our, and our, our medical world and community, we, you know, we could have, you know, been able to research more fail to figure out something better, but they're just, they're doing a lot of clinical trials, which I'll get into a little bit later, but they just have not found anything that's, uh, that, you know, that's been promising other than the things they found, again, modestly, very modestly, hardly slow it down. You know, it's, it's not like it can like slow it down or stop it or, you know, give you another 20 or 30 years. Uh, they don't have any such thing. Um, the ALS will continue to progress even when you're taking these medications. And uh, yeah, so it's like it's in some ways it's almost like it's not even worth taking any of them at all. And I've thought about just stopping all of them. But I figured if I take at least two of the three, it's going to buy me a little more time while I can try to figure out alternative treatments and ways to potentially try to really slow this down or stop or stabilize this. Um, that's the way I look at it. You know, it's, if it's going to give me a little extra time to try to figure out a, a real way to kind of slow this down, um, then, then fine, I'll take them. But, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a good, it's not a good, um, it's not a good option, many options in terms of medications. Um, in addition to that, you know, you, when you go to the ALS clinic, you know, I, they, they give you those options as medication choices. They give you medication choices for spasticity, which I'm going to get into next time. Um, but in terms of the ALS, slowing down ALS medications, those are the three, uh, that Relivrio, Radiazole and the Radicava, those are the three, the three R's. Those are the ones that they are, they will offer to you at this time. And, you know, it's it's not good. And also, I'm going to do a quick little blurb about this, and then I'm going to cut this. We're going to end this podcast because we've certainly, you know, it's certainly been a longer one, and I appreciate you guys still listening through this <laughs> I know this was a beefy episode, like I said, but 
Um, definitely, you know, I was told by my physical therapist at my clinic to not do any exercise, uh, to not do any resistance training, to, you know, just kind of rest, minimize the amount of energy expenditure, not to really do much of anything other than just basic walking around the house. And you're like, I, I'm looking at her and like you're telling a 30, a young well, 31, 32, whatever year old uh, that you're just, I'm not not don't do anything. And I'm like, lady, like take a hike. Like I, I refuse to do that. And I don't care if, you think you think it, I'm gonna be more tired from it? I'm gonna be weaker from it. I don't believe that at all. <sighs> the whole theory behind why people think you should not work out or do excessive exercise with ALS is from the standpoint that you're gonna fry your nerve connections faster than they already are going. So. Meaning, you know, the, the nerve that goes from spinal cord to muscle is already damaged and starting to deteriorate. And if you work out and keep using that nerve to stimulate that muscle, it's just going to accelerate that deterioration process. I can see the logic in that. I truly can. Believe me, it, may, it makes sense. But at the same time, I've done my own research and I found a lot more evidence pointing in the direction of low to moderate intensity exercise is actually better for people with ALS. I mean, am I going to go try to bench press 400 pounds, try to squat 400 pounds? Hell no, I couldn't even I couldn't even do that if I wanted to. Like I know my freaking limits. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean I can barely lift more in the bar these days and I mean, I'm not going to put myself in any position or try to, like... I, I couldn't even overexert myself if I wanted to. I mean, maybe on the elliptical. But, I mean, I can't I can't run. I can't move quickly at, to any capacity, even slightly. So, you know, there's really nothing I can do that's going to overtax or overwork my system. And I feel that doing some exercise, doing some resistance training, still is going to stimulate you know, the nerves and muscles to continue to keep going. I mean, and that's my personal opinion on it. And again, this is why I say people listening, you know, as a disclaimer, you know, don't go off of what I'm saying. You know, if you're going to talk to your traditional, if you're going to talk to your traditional Western medicine neurologist or doctor that's you know, honestly, a lot of them are outdated and strictly just following the FDA-approved literature and not looking or even suggesting any alternative treatments. They're going to tell you to probably not do any resistance training either. Um, and I just, I mean, I was just appalled that my physical therapist said not to even use, res like, resistance bands. I'm like, lady, I'm still lifting weights, and, like, I don't give a shit about you know, what you have to say, I, I'm taking care of myself, I'm doing what's right for me. And, you know, if for some reason it is shortening shortening my life and my nerve connections more, then, then so be it. I mean, I don't care because working out was one of my, was my biggest outlet. 
made me happy psychologically, felt great mentally, physically, and I'm going to keep doing it till the day I die. So again, that's just my personal opinion on the matter. And I'm, you know, people that know me know that I was a huge workout nut and I'm I'm continue to do whatever I can. You know, these days I'm focusing just more on functional things like just air squats, lunges, modified push-ups, modified pull-ups. I mean, anything I can do to just, you know, keep myself functionally strong as much as possible. That's that's the ideal thing. Um, I do, you know, I'll do some things like curls and attempt shoulder press carefully and you know, bent over rows, and I mean, I use, a, I have like a lat pull-down attachment in my garage, so I use, do that for a lot of, a lot of back exercises, and I mean, I, I just, I literally do whatever I can, and, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to think that it's, you know, kept me a little bit stronger than, you know, I, uh, feel, like I said, the Western approach to treating ALS is just, is in my personal opinion, terrible. And if you were to just listen to that personal Western medicine approach, not try any alternative therapies, you, you, you would, I feel you would die a lot faster. Your quality of life would be much more shitty because basically they're telling you to take three these three medications that barely slow it down and sit around and minimize the amount of energy expenditure, sit around and just atrophy away till you die. And I'm not going to do that. I refuse to do that. That's not who I am. If I, if I were to do that, then I might as well just go kill myself right now because I, I ain't, I ain't going to back down from this and I'm going to keep fighting. You know, that's why I keep doing all the things I'm doing. That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I'm trying all these alternative things therapies and medicines and treatments and hoping something can stick a little bit and just just help me i mean i gotta keep fighting because we all know what the alternative is to that as i just said so again i'm gonna keep working out i'm not gonna stop i don't care what anyone tells me i know myself the best i'm again i'm not trying to be arrogant or condescending but i feel that i know as much about this condition as many neurologists and it's certainly you know more than like the pts and ot's i mean i am a physical therapist by trade and i've 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 done my own research and learning and know more than i think a lot of people realize with a lot of this stuff again i'm not i'm not someone that ever boasts those sorts of things but i'm just i'm i'm saying that i i know what i'm talking about i know i know what I know what I'm doing and I'm going to follow my gut and follow what's right for me, regardless of what the traditional approach is. So again, I'm going to end with that little soapbox there because I get pretty fired up about that. And just again, just it still annoys me and infuriates me that I had a PT tell me just not to do anything like exercise wise. I mean, I just I couldn't believe that. And I mean, I could find, I could literally throw in her face a lot of literature to disprove that and say that low to moderate exercise is actually good for ALS, and that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Like I said, till till I'm till I'm done.
to him dead. So, well, everybody, <laughs> this was quite the episode. Very revealing, very personal, very long. And for all of you still, for all of you still listening, I, I, I appreciate you all so much. I appreciate your support. Um, your continued feedback is appreciated. You know, feel free to leave comments, reach out to me via social media, email, text, whatever, phone call, whatever. I mean, I, and I want to be there for people. I want to, like I said, this, the goal of this is to leave a positive impact, you know, be there for people, be supportive. And if I can just help even just one person a little bit, who's going through tough times, whether it be something related to one of the things I've talked about or not. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's that's what all that matters. Um, I'm doing this for, for everyone out there just as much as I'm doing this for myself therapeutically. So I truly and sincerely thank you all for your support. And um, I will be releasing another episode next week. We'll kind of dive more into different interventions and I have to kind of figure out how I want to lay out all the things to talk about. So I have to figure that out. But um, yeah, we're going to kind of just dive right into some of the things I've been doing and, you know, some of the evidence and research behind them. And, you know, we'll go from there. But that being said, everybody, thank you for listening. And I appreciate you all so much. Wish you all the best, you know, each and every day and go out and enjoy your lives and make the most of it while you can. Enjoy your weekend, everybody, and I will talk to you again soon. Goodbye for now.